Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions and provides unbiased answers. Invest Talk, over 31 million downloads and counting. I wanted to get your opinion on ticker symbol. I just really like it as a long term play. I uh, appreciate the show, appreciate all the knowledge. Thanks, guys. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, October 21st, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. And we are living in unprecedented times, and there's a lot out there to discuss, to ponder, to balance, weigh. When I say balance, I mean weigh the pros and the cons. And everybody's and decision is going to rely on the data that they have, the expertise that they have, and their own individual financial position. And so my job here is not to give you oh, st- a stock tip. I know a lot of people tune in for that. But what, it's, what I'm here is try to give you the tools to make your own smart decisions each and every day. You know, say you can give uh, a man a fish, they can eat for a day. You, get, you teach them how to fish, they can eat for a lifetime. We're trying to teach you how to fish. And that's my goal each and every day is give you another, another quiver in your toolkit to make solid financial decisions each and every day. Now, on this podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. I'm not here to bang whistles or bells. I'm not Kramer. I'm simply giving you my perspective of over 20 plus years of investment experience and the data that I see in front of me. A lot of data, a lot of systems up uh, that gives me both both quantitative and that's that's easy for a lot of people to, to digest is the quantitative numbers. Look at different parameters and, and you, you definitely have to work your way to being good at that. But the harder thing is actually the qualitative side. Understanding industries, understanding dynamics of different asset classes, uh, understanding risk versus reward, and how that all works out to a smart investment decision that puts the odds in your favor. And that's really what it's all about. And so I'm here taking your calls live during our four to five live stream program. And so that number is 888 chart If you're listening live, give me a call. I'd love to hear from you. But if you're listening after hours, no big deal as well. We have our Invest Talk Voice Bank that's open 24-7. Same number, 888 chart So let's get right to our first listener question now. Oh, actually, we're going to go to James in Sonoma looking at Intel. Well, I'm looking at Intel. I've owned it for years. It's in my, uh, it's in my IRA. I also own uh, Broadcom and, and Texas Instruments and uh, analog devices. But, you know, I've owned it for years, and I've tried to keep it because when I was growing up as a kid in the 90s and the early 2000s, Intel was the company. 
but it's going to go down. I read the news report here. They had a bad quarter, and the CEO keeps saying, oh, they're going to turn it around, they're going to turn it around. But do I give up? Is it just time to give up now? Well, this has been the issue with Intel for a while now, and it is down about 7.5% after hours to right now 51 spot 18 in the after hours market. And it was down slightly on the day. So you're talking, yes, a 7.5% drop. And you're right. This was on worse than expected earnings. You had earnings up 58% year over year, but revenue only up 5%. And it looks like their margins were squeezed. And this is what happens when you are kind of the dominant player within a particular industry. And you can extract high margins because you don't need to, you don't really have much to compete with. Like you said, going back to the 90s, what other microprocessor would you have in a computer besides an Intel? Right, You see Pentium, Celeron. I mean, I remember the, the old chips. Now it's obviously i3, i5, i7. Uh, but now AMD is, in a lot of ways, a, an alternative. And in order to maintain market share, uh, looks like they're having to cut prices. Now, overall demand looks to be still relatively strong, but their dominant days in the in the uh, microprocessor uh, microprocessor business are are probably behind them, and they continue to have issues with uh, manufacturing. And I said this before: if they can get their next generation chips manufacturing down and start to widen that gap in technology uh, again, I think you're you're going to see this stock perform. And not having the ex-CFO as CEO uh, it was a first step. They, they got rid of that CEO, and now it's the, I think, former CTO. So that's a good thing. So somebody that's more aligned with the technology and for a technology company, I think that's very important. Uh, the, the, it sounds like you have a lot of chip companies, and maybe you know this is the weakest one, and you would really be giving up on that turnaround story that they can get the technology manufacturing right. So far, they haven't been able to do it. And so that's really a decision here. It's cheap if they can turn it around, get it right, because Intel still is a great brand, still a strong market share. And if they can begin to widen that IP advantage uh, that has now shrunk over the last uh, many years, then it can be a, a great stock and very cheap. But if that continues to dwindle, and maybe AMD even passes them, and, and you could argue uh, in some ways they already have, um, then AMD is going to be a better bet, and Intel is going to be more of a value trap. So that's really a decision d- decision there. And once again, that is a qualitative decision. There aren't a lot of numbers that you can really turn to to say that's what one thing's going to happen or not. It's really about leadership and expertise. And if you have confidence in that leadership and expertise – then you hold it. If you don't, then you move on, find a better opportunity. Make sense, James? Makes sense. Thank you. All right. No problem. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Economists are concerned about the U.S. worker shortage. There are more than 10 million, 10 million U.S. job vacancies across all the sectors of the U.S. economy. But the problem is worker supply. It's holding back output and increasing inflation pressures. So we're going to look at some of the numbers and what that might mean going forward. I also want to touch on a nice interview by Paul Tudor Jones on CNBC. 
out of all the market talking heads, I think he's he's the best. Sorry. Uh, you know, may all love me, but Paul Tudor Jones is smarter than me. Guarantee. Uh, and so it's always interesting to see what he has to say. Also, the cost of transporting goods is obviously up dramatically over the last year plus, but it's hitting different parts of the economy differently based on various factors. So we're going to look at that story. And then lastly, if we have time, I've been talking about banks. What do bank earnings look like post-pandemic? What is the next challenge that they're going to tackle besides a global pandemic, which is now turning more endemic, uh, and what that means for that sector as a whole? So that's what I want to talk about today. But ultimately, I want to know what is on your mind. 8899 chart, 8899924278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's look at the market. We had the S&P roughly up 13 points, about a third of a percent closed on the highs, closed on the highs. After hours, though, definitely down a few ticks on some poor earnings. Intel, like you said, uh, Microsoft was also down. That's an interesting one. The fact that that uh, didn't react that great to earnings. Snap was also down about 25%. I don't think that's part of the S&P, but you're, you're, you're in the heart of earnings season. And what you see now, especially with valuation multiples remaining relatively high and these earnings expectations continuing to be very strong, if you see them only meeting earnings expectations, not raising guidance, really not hitting out of the park, you can see these sell-offs and you're starting to see that uh, a bit here with a lot of the big names. So... That was really that's really the market today. It was it was a, certainly a positive day. You had the NYSE that was actually down, however, sixteen points, so about 0.1%. percent. Uh, so nothing big there. About flat on the NYSE. You had interesting enough the Nasdaq that was up ninety four points, about two thirds of one percent, and that typically is uncommon. When you have the 10-year up another four basis points, we continue to grind higher on interest rates as inflation remains sticky and the market's starting to gradually price that in, that inflation is here to stay, uh, that requires higher interest rates, requires higher interest rates for investors to buy treasuries and hold treasuries. And so... Um, it was interesting that NASDAQ was relatively strong, but after hours, not so much. So earnings season is in full swing, and that's why you should expect some volatility. Now we're heading into a quick break, and our question, and your questions and answer session will continue in one minute, so stay with us. And of course, you can call me now with your finance and investment question at 888-99-CHART. Investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations. You found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. Invest Talk. Steve and Justin welcome your questions anytime on the Invest Talk listener line. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. Big fan of the show. Uh, I had a question on what to do with some extra money I have. I'm already maxing my 401k. 
maxing out my Roth and putting some other money into my brokerage account. My question is, I recently bought a house and I got a pretty low interest rate, less than three in Ohio. I was looking to see if you thought it'd be best to make additional payments on the house or if I should put the money else somewhere else. I don't plan on living in the house long-term, maybe five to 10 years. Looking forward to your answer on the show. Thanks, guys. This is a great question. A lot of people are probably dealing with it. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about how there's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines waiting to be put into assets uh, to spend, et cetera. And you sound like just one of those many people out there that uh, are flush with cash uh, for various reasons, government transfer payments, um, higher wages, um, et cetera. And the way you have to think about this is with inflation remaining relatively high, things like cash, things like treasuries are going to eat away at your purchasing power, even more so than they have in the past. Now, if you are looking to use this money in the near term, then you want to keep it relatively safe. You have a high-yield money market account. You're still going to lose purchasing power, but you're going to uh, gain liquidity and lack of volatility, something that's very safe. But if you have extra money, you have money, and you already said you put money in a brokerage account, why not just put it more in the brokerage account? Because the bet, one of the best hedges against inflation are equities. Now, to a certain point, if it gets too high, et cetera, but that's one of the best hedges. You could also argue commodities of some type. I rather own commodity equity companies, but how you get exposure there is up to you. Real estate is another way. You're in Ohio. The prices there certainly have come up, but cheaper than a lot of areas of the country. So your cap rates are hopefully at least going to keep up with inflation. And then you're going to get inflation in the housing. So that's good. So those are areas that you would put the money. You don't want to overexpose yourself to any one asset class, but that's how to think about it. Knowing that the job of government now, whether you like it or not, is to inflate away the debt. And that's where we're at. And you holding it in cash is going to be working against that. Okay. There you go. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And for investors, the need to remain vigilant never ends. That's why we're here to help you manage your emotions, your fear and greed, help you balance risk versus reward. And that's why we're taking your calls. And your participation is a vital part of this show. So we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Go to Corey in Ohio looking at PTY, which is the PIMCO Corporate and Income Opportunity Fund. Do you own it or looking to buy it? I only own uh, a small position, and I guess I have two questions for you. Uh, how does rising interest rates affect this, uh, this fund, and at what point would you look at kind of adding um, to it? Um, obviously looking for the monthly income. 
but uh, wanted to get your thoughts on it. All right, this is the PIMCO Corporate and Income Opportunities Fund, and it's mainly a corporate bond ETF. About let's see, 68% is in corporate high grade or corporate bonds in general. Some high grade, some junk, uh, a lot of junk. Uh, 15% securitized, 5% cash and equivalents, 10% in government. Now, it's mainly invested in triple B, double B, and single B names. That makes up about 60% of the portfolio. Then in the A category spread out, you have roughly about 25%. And the balance would be below B, uh, not rated. So about 15% kind of in that super junky uh, range. And what you're getting here is leverage. Their leverage ratio is about 43%, meaning they're borrowing short. Think of a bank. They're borrowing short and they're lending in the bond market long at higher rates. So that's how you're getting that distribution rate of about 7.9%. So that is your – understand that that is the risk, that this is not just any old bond ETF. This is a leveraged bond ETF. Okay, and that's why the price swings are very dramatic. Pre-pandemic, this is trading about nineteen dollars and sixty cents, and it went all the way down to nine dollars. So it went down fifty percent uh, during you know that few week period of a panic within the economy. Now it's roared back. Fifty-two uh, week high is right around twenty-one and change. Now we're at eighteen dollars, and it's been trending lower as interest rates have gone up. And that's generally what you're going to see here is that the any bonds are going to be hurt somewhat by higher interest rates. It's just a matter of how much. Now, when you have a higher yield, uh, those bonds tend to have a lower impact uh, from higher rates or lower rates. It's really more about yield spreads widening out or not. Um, so that's my main thing is, are you willing to take that type of risk? This is kind of like more of like a small cap exposure, to be honest with you, with not quite as much as ups of upside. So I just don't love it here with interest rates rising with that amount of leverage on their balance sheet. I like that it's corporates mainly and, and securitized type of, of lending, so I like the overall portfolio construction. I just don't like the leverage. I also don't like uh, its expense ratio over 1% on this name. So, yeah, I'm just not going to get excited about adding to it or buying more. Um, and you really, really, really have to understand that risk you're taking uh, when you're buying a leveraged type of bond fund. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is in regards to workers. And obviously, the pandemic has caused a lot of chaos in the economy, supply chain disruptions, labor shortages are a big problem, not just here in the US, but around the world. And people voluntarily quitting their jobs while demand increases has been a big, big problem. And there are many factors. The number one is probably retiring workers as well as border controls, immigration limits, and higher demand for better pay, flexible work arrangements, right, working from home, for example. So if 
you're in a if if you're a a white collar worker and all your friends are now working from home, but your employer says, "Hey, I, I, I we want you to come back in the office," and you're going to say, "Well, why should I have to come back in the office when all my friends are sitting at home working from home? I'm going to go quit and go find a job with a company that allows working remotely." So I could I see that happening more and more. So employers, employees, excuse me, are willing to walk away from their jobs more often. In fact, the quit rate rose to 4.3 million in August. That's the highest level since they were keeping records back to, to December of 2000. Now, the other sectors that are having issues are accommodations and food services, wholesale trade, state and local governments. I think accommodation and food services are kind of the same thing. It's like, well, I used to have to commute with all my other white-collar friends into my place of work. I just happen to be a hotel or a restaurant or something, uh, and but now they get to stay home. Well, why don't I switch careers, maybe go back to school and try to get a job now that where I work from home? They become, they're becoming more and more attractive. Stay in the local governments, well, vaccine mandates, uh, I think that's, uh, that's creating a lot of quitting as well. And so this is disrupting both local and global production uh, and supply chain networks, and it's hampering economic growth overall. And that's a big, big issue. Now, uh, the economy, the economic growth uh, output has actually returned to pre-pandemic levels, but we have 5 million less jobs than we did in February of 2020. Now, for productivity, that's great. But there's still a lot of work to do to get more and more people back to work. And that's going to continue to put pressure on inflation and wages as long as you have a shortage of workers. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekday is help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, when people take time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to the question quickly. So here are some questions from iTunes reviewers. Chris from Albuquerque, New Mexico says, can you provide investment insight on Vroom, V-R-O-M, and how it compares to Carvana? Carvana stock at currently near its all-time low. Would it be a good time to add some of the stock to my portfolio? Now, Vroom is a fairly recent IPO, and I think you know how I feel about IPOs. It did IPO back in August. No, excuse me. Let's go back here. Early 2020, or sorry, summer of 2020. So June of 2020. So it's past the lockup period, and ever since that lockup period expired, uh, it's continued its downtrend. It was at about 40-ish when the lockup period happened. Now it's at 22. So you can see what happens when uh, those insiders can start to sell. And this provides an end-to-end e-commerce platform for buying and selling used vehicles. Very similar to Carvana and very similar to Carvana. They do not make any money. So to lose $2.50 this year, $2.47 next year, and just issuing more and more shares. Still a $3 billion valuation. And I think this is headed to be cut in half again, probably down to 10 bucks. I, I don't see the, really the value here when they're just burning through capital and issuing more shares in the process. So I, I don't know how many times I can, I, can, I, I can hit it home to you guys, but this is not an environment where you want to be buying money-losing operations that are just issuing shares. The whole Ponzi sector where you lose money, show a bunch of revenue growth, issue shares to fund that revenue growth, and plow it into more marketing, that's been the model for a lot of these public companies, these quote-unquote growth companies, these quote-unquote disruptors. Now, it's not all of them, but there are a lot of them. Vroom is a perfect example. Carvana is another uh, example. And that continues to be an area that you want to avoid. Now, Carvana definitely is operating uh, better than a Vroom. So if I'm comparing the two, I'm I'm definitely going with Carvana over Vroom because they just, they, they're at least showing some progress, even though they're really running the same playbook. Um, but it's just at least a little bit better. And they still have a little more history. So I don't like either, but I'm picking one. I'm definitely with Carvana. Now, Chris's second question was, since the stock is testing all-time lows, would this be an opportunity 
for a competitor, Carvana, CarMax, or Amazon to acquire this company. Sure, it, it, it could be an opportunity, but you never want to bet on that unless you have some sort of information that they are going after a, a name like that. Um, I don't see any reason why they, they would need to, um, but no, you don't want to buy any company, especially that's in a downtrend, that's losing money, uh, that uh, it, and, and betting on that they're going to get bought out. Why, why would any company pay very much for uh, a company like that? that uh, is not creating much shareholder value. So no, I definitely wouldn't buy it based on that. So technicals, fundamentals, all of it looks terrible for Vroom. Great short though. Now let's go to John in D Hills. He, he's an iTunes reviewer and he asked about, he said he loves the show and listen to it daily. I don't hear much talk on TSP investing. I invest into the TSP through my employer and have the majority in the C fund, a small amount in the I and S fund. Do you suggest adding to the IRS for the next five to 10 years? My breakdown is 75C, 10% I, 10% S, 5% G. Now, if you don't know what TSPs are, they're thrift savings plans. Usually you have these when you work for some sort of government agency and they are extremely limited. Now, there are some life cycle funds that you can invest in, but mainly you have five options. The G fund, which is basically uh, U.S. treasuries, not anything you would want to own right now. Uh, the other is the F fund, and that is the aggregate bond index. So if you're having bond, want bond exposure, definitely the F over the G. Uh, the C fund, I believe, is the S&P 500. Yep. And the S fund is the small cap. So, oh, no, sorry. It's the total stock market index. So you're going to get a much broader uh, mix there, something that is, uh, has small and mid caps uh, in it. And then the I fund would be international. So he has 75% in C, which is S&P, 10% in I, 10% in S. Uh, I would up the I, the international, probably closer to 20 to 25% of your overall portfolio. And same with the I, 20 to 25. I want more of those small and mid cap. That's where the better values are as opposed to uh, the S&P. So I'd be bringing down the C dramatically. Uh, if you want 5% in bonds, I would be in the F fund, not the G fund. So those are the shifts that I would make overall with your TSP. That's assuming you want to be an aggressive investor. That is an aggressive allocation. Make sure you understand that. If you are maybe closer to retirement, you want to dial that back, maybe have a little more F, right, that that corporate bond uh, type of exposure. But either way, if anybody has a TSP that they're no longer contributing to, roll it into an IRA. The fact that you have five funds is ridiculous and a terrible setup. It just sets you up for failure because you don't really have much flexibility, unfortunately. So that's only if you have, or if you're stuck within a TSP, you're still contributing to it. As soon as you leave, same with a 401k, 457, all of these employee-sponsored plans, you ever leave, you always want to roll it into an IRA. Let's go to Wesley in Stockton looking at LEU, which is Centris Energy Corp. Centris. You own it or looking to buy it? Looking to buy it. You and Steven have been talking about um, nuclear energy plays. Besides buying uranium mining or uranium goods uh, ETFs, I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about this. I looked on Bid and Biz, and the numbers look not that great, but it's been on a run and it's kind of consolidated over this week wanted to want know what you think all right this is centris energy corp it's engaged in the supply of nuclear fuel and services for the nuclear power industry it operates through the low enriched 
uranium and technical solutions segment. Uh, so it helps this industry. And I keep telling everybody, you have to have nuclear power. Whether you like nuclear or not, it's going to be needed in uh, a decarbonized world. And this has strong correlation to uh, the uranium price. And you're starting to see that here with uh, the price hitting 52-week highs up uh, doubled over the past month and a half. Now, the space is a little bit overbought, um, but dips, I think, should be bought. And this is I like this because it has uh, diversified business. It's not just uranium. Um, and it, it actually services the uh, nuclear industry. And so I like that. It's cash flow positive. It's earning money. And so I'm a fan of this. No dividend, but good. Would you say buy on the dip or um, buy if it keeps on trading on this range? Well, you know, it had a surge in September from about $25 all the way to 40 and then consolidated for three, four weeks, right around between about 40 and $35. And so it didn't really have much of a pullback except for one or two days. And so I could see that happening where this consolidates here around the $50 range and you don't get much of a pullback. If you got all the way to the 50-day moving average uh, around 37, 38, I think that would be a screaming buy. I, I just don't know if you're going to get it. Um, but I like what you're looking at. I like this space. I like uh, uranium in general. And the shift in this industry and the sentiment toward this industry uh, isn't often. You're seeing it happening in Europe, and it's only a matter of time before it hits here as we kind of slowly roll toward this energy crisis. Thanks for the call, Wesley. Now you're listening to Invest Talk, and during these times, you might have some additional discretionary time because maybe you aren't commuting. Maybe you just have more time in your hands, and I encourage you to explore the financial investment information we have over at investtalk.com. There are a lot of valuable resources for free, and a lot of great information as well. And if you want to peruse some of our investment programs, like our balanced income program, which offers a blend of growth and interest, you can do that over there at investtalk.com. If you want to set up a time to speak with myself or Steve Peasley, just send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KP Financial Offices in Irvine, California, 800-557-5461. We can set you up with a portfolio review assessment free of charge via telephone or go to meeting. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888 chart The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes, so your questions are always welcome. As a newer investor, my question concerns positions. You have the right to remain silent, but why would you when anything you ask will be used to help you create your financial freedom? I think it'll probably go higher. And so I would keep a tight stop on it. So don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Hello, Talk. John from Texas. Just have a general question on uh, ETFs and different brokerages. So say I've got a Fidelity and Vanguard account, and I want to purchase a Vanguard ETF If you or, or another sponsored ETF, like a Fidelity ETF through Ally or some other bank. Do they charge an extra fee on top of that expense fee? Basically, does, does Fidelity charge like a hidden fee 
for owning a Vanguard fund, or is it just best to buy that sponsored ETF directly from that broker if you have an account? So just wondering if there's any extra fees other than what's advertised as the expense uh, ratio. So thanks for your help. Appreciate y'all. Take care. Bye. Well, that's up to the broker. Typically, there are not. I know with TD Ameritrade, uh, there, there's no trading commissions on equities or ETFs. And so if you whatever ETF you buy, you're just going to be paying that expense ratio. You're not going to see it. It's going to come out of the fund a uh, very small amount each and every day. But um, you're, you are being charged that uh, as long as you're holding it. So I, I haven't seen any brokers charge any extra commissions by holding maybe a competitor's ETF or something like that. Now, I have seen some of the brokers are incentivizing uh, you or, or allowing you to buy certain low or no fee ETFs because uh, you're holding the accounts there. And uh, I believe Schwab does that. Maybe, I'm trying to remember exactly which ones do that. Um, so that might be something to look into uh, where you could only buy it when you're at that broker. Uh, but there's no extra charge or shouldn't be an extra charge. Uh, but you have to definitely check with your broker, individual broker. Thanks for the call. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's touch on Paul Tudor Jones. He has been around for decades, and he's one of the most seasoned and successful investors out there in the world. And he's really a macro thinker, and he plays in all types of markets from foreign currencies to fixed income to equities to commodities uh, because he really – understands the dynamics of the global financial system very well. In fact, he uh, call, kind of called the 1987 stock market crash and profited from it. And that was kind of his claim to flip fame, but he's been very good ever since. Pretty much made money every year. In fact, he doesn't even allow any investors anymore. He just kind of trades for his own account, has a family office, etc. But he was on CNBC. And he had some very interesting quotes. One was, quote, I think to me the number one issue issue facing Main Street investors is inflation. And it's pretty clear to me that inflation is not transitory. It's probably the single biggest threat to certainly financial markets and I think to society just in general. So he's kind of pounding the inflation alarm and not just saying that it's a problem for financial markets, but for society as a whole. And if you look back at history, some of the biggest political disruptions, most of the biggest political disruptions are sparked by high food inflation costs. Now, we haven't been we haven't hit that yet. Inflation uh is food in food is going up, but it's not dramatic yet. Not nearly as dramatic as energy, but we know that energy is a feedstock into food creation into fertilizer, for example. And you're going to start to see that hitting next year, even more food inflation than you already have seen. And so he's kind of echoing that sentiment. And he said, quote, we have the demand side of the equation that's $33.5 trillion greater than what it normally would have been and just sitting in liquid deposits. They can go into stocks or crypto or real estate or be consumed. So that's a huge amount of dry powder just sitting waiting to be utilized at some point, which is why inflation is not going away. 
end quote. And this is really the crux, uh, been the crux of my argument, uh, but it's something that you need to internalize, really understand, because it has major ramifications for your portfolio, for the markets, and what type of assets and stocks will do well in this inflationary environment. We just hit it over the past year or so. The deflationary shock was for the first three or four months of the pandemic going into the summer time of last year. Inflation really started picking up in the back half of summer. So we're only a little over a year into this. And he said, uh, Paul Tudor Jones said that it's time to double down on inflation hedges, including commodities and treasury inflation protected securities, and that investors should avoid fixed income. And that's really what you have to do. You have to fight inflation with your portfolio. And you just not that down on stocks saying they could be decent bets amid persistent inflation until the Fed moves to address the inflation. But the fact that they have not done so is very telling. And that's basically his sentiment. And it really echoes mine as well. Now we're heading into our last break. So give me a call at 888-99-SHARK. InvestTalk is here to help. And when you download the free InvestTalk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Duncan Forbes from New York. Thank you for taking my phone call. I'm looking to revamp my portfolio coming into the new year. I wanted to see about stock ticker Unity Software U. Not sure if this will do good in inflation, so I'm looking for you to tell me if I should keep, sell, or buy more. And if I, if it does have good uh, statistics, what would you buy it at? Thank you very much. Have a good day. Right, this is Unity Software, and they provide a software platform for creating and operating interactive 3D content. So this is really uh, the, the leading platform for uh, AR, a AR uh, augmented reality, VR uh, type of software. And that's really what you're betting on here is this long-term play on uh, that VR and AR are going to catch on. Now, my, in my household, we have um, an Oculus and it's very interesting and, and pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, in fact, I play the boxing game. It's pretty fun. Uh, it's a good workout. If you ever want to hack and you want a good workout, buy the boxing game on that. Uh, you'll, you'll be sweating in no time. Anyway, uh, but what you're buying here is, is really that this is going to remain the dominant platform. And it's going to have consistent, strong growth and be profitable very soon. In fact, earnings were only negative two cents last quarter. Revenue is up 48%, uh, but their cash flow remains very negative. Operating cash flow trailing 12 months, negative uh, 80 million. Uh, they've increased their number of shares outstanding from 170 million to 282 million in just the past uh, 12 months. And it's a, it's a recent IPO trading at 40 times enterprise value to revenue, 41 and a half extremely, extremely high. Now, the good thing is they don't have any debt. They've issued a lot of That's what they're doing, right? They, they don't, they're not borrowing money. They're issuing more shares. Uh, after hours is down about 2%. Did they, did they have news? Maybe this is just uh, down on, 
all of the let me take a look here yeah all of the uh, tech companies taking a hit like Microsoft uh, and Snap after hours. This one uh, probably just uh, in uh, in unison with that. And that's really what you're buying, though, is a high growth, money losing, money burning company. And you have to have very, very strong conviction in the long term staying power of this platform. Overall, not a fan. Like I said, uh, I like to own hard assets. Um, and I would really, really have to be very, very confident that this is going to be like, you know, think of, think of the Apple operating system. That's why Apple's such a strong brand and, and business. Their phones are good, but hardware wise, they're not that much different than a lot of the, the, the Android phones, but it's the operating system and the ecosystem. And you're betting that. All of these developers uh, in the AR, VR platforms are going to tie themselves to Unity's platform and build applications, games, etc. over the very long term. And that's really what you're playing here is a very long term game. And even if they are the winner, that doesn't mean you're going to be the winner. I, I use the ex- example of Cisco. Cisco is still not at its highest from 2000 because the growth multiples, the valuations that were built in then were just so overly optimistic. And that's my feeling here. So... Good company to keep on a watch list, but it has to be drastically cheaper. So to me, I would be a seller. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, I want to get to transportation. It's it's very expensive to move things from point A to point B, much more than uh, last year. First quarter of 2020, you could ship a good goods by sea for $1,600 per 40-foot equivalent unit, basically a large shipping container. September of this year, that bill was $10,200, drastic increase. And we're seeing shortage of truckers here in the U.S. and in Europe. And the burden of those higher distribution costs are feeding into the price of goods. Uh, and some companies are hurt more than others. Fast fashion retailer H&M recently warned that, that it's harder for them to get Goods from Asia, 69% of their manufacturing is located there. But premium brands that can charge more, like Nike, like Louis Vuitton, like Gucci, they're kind of shielded from this because their customers are relatively price insensitive. Major supermarkets like Walmart, they have their own in-house fleets, so they're not really getting hit by this as well. Other large manufacturers have long-term contracts. So they're not being hit. So the ones that are being hit the most are your small businesses, small mom and pops that are producing a smaller number of goods and outsourcing that that shipping. And so that's really where you're going to see the biggest impact on prices and businesses. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Now over 35 million. So get yours at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. And if you leave your review with a question, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis. 
and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.